Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode <laughs> 267, I am very lucky to have, a privilege to have, uh, Elizabeth and Meredith. She says her parents can't buy a vowel, but that's another story. <laughs> yes, she is an author, speaker, and online teacher. Ah, Elizabeth, how are you doing today? Hey, well, thank you so much for having me on your amazing podcast. I'm doing just great now that we're here together. Uh, pleasure to have you on. And another thing, uh, she mm -hmm. managed to escape the confines of Alaska, now mm -hmm. living in Tennessee. She says she has no warrants out on her, but that's uh, another story we won't go into right now, maybe later. Uh, <laughs> after I sign off, you go uh, ahead. Uh, yeah, don't worry. Like, don't worry. This is an FBI sting. We've almost got <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's all good. <laughs> My God. Now, you, my lady, I got to say in our brief conversation before we started this podcast, you are very bubbly, you're very light, and yeah, you are like you have a like a contagious sense of energy about you in a positive manner. But like the whole thing is you have not what I would say had the easiest time of things. <laughs> Haven't always felt so bubbly, I guess is a good way to put it. But well, thank you for saying those kind words. But hey. yes, it, life has dealt some interesting hands. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's like, right. Like, as I, I, I may have made light of you escaping Alaska, but you, like, how did you get to Alaska? Can you tell us the story of that? Absolutely. And I should just say for the record, I love Alaska and my adult daughters live there. So I really do appreciate it so much. But I ended up in Alaska because my mother got in some legal trouble um, and wanted to take custody of a few of her kids and didn't want to bother with the rest. And so she took off with her newest uh, then husband, or he wasn't actually a husband then, it was someone she'd met from Louisiana. She was from Kentucky, at that point, living in Kentucky. This new person was from Louisiana. And she took a few of her kids and away she went. And that's how we got to Alaska. We weren't meant to be there. And we, there was no legal custody order granting that. She just decided to take matters into her own hands. Okay. Uh, that is a, uh, how can I put it? Your, your mother seems like she was a bit of a character to <laughs> think of Meanwhile, I was just saying that yesterday I was giving a talk here in Chattanooga at the Film Writers Guild or yeah, the Filmmakers Guild. And I didn't, I don't like to say my family was dysfunctional too often because that's boring. But let's put it this way. They mm. make good characters. <laughs> <laughs> right? I imagine. Yeah. But I, I yeah, you, you mentioned that yes, Alaska, she like your mother went, chose Alaska. But I know other people like, oh, why Alaska of all places? Like, the Amer America is a large place, but right. Alaska? <laughs> I know, I know. Alaska is kind of like the Australia of America, as far as I'm concerned. It's big, it's diverse, it's wild. And back in the day, especially people, in, you know, I was born in the 60s. People went to Alaska if they were in trouble with the law or if they were seeking money through, let's say, the gold rush or the oil, you know, oil industry. And so you attracted very interesting people who didn't always get along so well. Mm. So there I was born in Kentucky. And when I was being raised in Alaska, I had a deep sense of, I don't think this is my place. And I love Alaska now. It kind of is the place that raised me, but it didn't feel like ultimately the home that I chose. Ah, so it was a case of, yes, you were in Alaska, you loved it, uh, but you were like a circle peg in a square hole. Yes. Like down to being in the Alaskan environment. So, well, living in Alaska. But So when did you, like, when were you, when did you come to the realization that, hey, wait a second, uh, mom, did you do something wrong here? Uh, <laughs> like, when did the penny drop, or were you told that? Yes. Well, initially. 
initially I was told, and it's so funny you say that, because I was raised, I have very, very, when I was young, uh, naturally dark, almost black hair. And I was raised in a family of toe-headed blondes. And I'm, so I kind of thought to myself, even as a toddler, like, hmm, this is interesting. And I always had a sense of not belonging. And I think that really has stuck with me and, and that travels with me wherever I go. But I had the sense like, hmm, I don't know that I fit in here and this doesn't feel right. But as I got older past toddlerhood, at one point I remember my mom taking me to the courthouse with the man that she sort of passed off as being my father. And she wanted me to tell the nice judge that I wanted this man to be my father, which is interesting because if you're raised calling someone daddy yeah. and then you're going to the courthouse and being told you need to say, this is what you want, that feels weird to me. It felt weird then, it sounds weird now. So I knew something was amiss. And as I got older, my mother started unpacking a story that evolved over time. First, it was, um, I had to run from where you're from. You were born in Kentucky and your father was very violent and he didn't want you and he tried to kill you and he tried to kill me and I had to get out. And then it was a story of, well, your dad was really violent and there were people who were looking for him and I was so scared, but he really loved you and you should try to find him someday. And so these things started changing. The story just kept kind of evolving in bits. And hmm. truth is, I sort of wrote her off because there were other other things that weren't quite true. Okay. So I sort of wrote her off as a liar when I was in my teens. And the fact is, some of what she said was true. There was a grain of truth in there. But, you know, it took me years to feel strong and solid enough as a person to look him up through an attorney. And I did meet my dad when I was 20. Wow, that must be so difficult because, okay, look, when any, like, okay, the word for God for any child is normally mother or father. It's right. like, yeah, um, when you've got your mother or your father, well, one you didn't, like, one, the father you knew, thought you knew wasn't your father, right. and two, like, the mother you who was your mother wasn't actually telling you the truth or well half truths it must be like trying to like growing up in that type of environment must be difficult to like like go right I have a tie or a bond uh to these like not to my like for me it would be like not to my parents but to these people if you get what I mean they're sort of that distance like how did you manage to sort of overcome that I mean, I don't know that I fully overcame that. Mm. And there is a part of me that's a little bit just, I always have a certain amount of distrust in general now. And I think it originates from not being able to really count on who you thought you should be able to count on. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It, I'm not unique in that. Lots of people were raised within families where that kind of stuff happens. But for me, it just reached a critical pitch when I was very, very young and I started thinking about, I, I like to write. I wrote tragic poetry when I was little. <laughs> and in the poetry, of course, I always died and everyone felt super guilty. And that really helped me. You know, like, <laughs> you do not know what you have here. But uh, as I got older, I really did start thinking about my life as a story. And I really believe that for all of us, if there's a certain detachment that you can have, mm. if you think of your life as a story, we didn't write the beginning, we inherited it. We had no choice in our beginnings. We have more power in the middle to at least influence an ending that we're proud of. And it really helped me in some ways. It helped me in some ways. It's a little weird, but uh, it helped me be a little detached as I went through life. So I didn't take it all so personally. And I didn't run around saying, why me? Why me? And I did think of my family, uh, you know, I love my siblings, but I did think of people as characters and it helped to help reduce some of the steam. I think sometimes like not like it might sound strange what I'm about to say, but I, I think more people should sometimes think of themselves as a character in a movie and basically they're like, they're undertaking their hero's journey. 
they're the star of the film and so they go right i'm the star of the film what does like what does my star need to be my hero need to be do they need to be brave do they need to be smart do they need to be cunning like do they need to flee or like change their sort of identity in some way to sort of like go okay to help them succeed i think too many people don't like because the reason why i say this people often get stuck in their sort of mindset because of their environment and they can't yeah. see a way out of it and if they did see themselves as a like character a movie character not to sort of disassociate themselves completely but like to like go right this is my character in this movie and this is what they need to do it's kind of like yeah okay by doing these actions i can level up and yeah win the day like be successful like the only difference is if you fail there are real consequences it's not going to be scripted out that you're going to succeed any like every single okay. time but it's part of the journey we all sort of need to go through to mix us uh, better people uh, at the end of the day in not other people's like eye but our own eyes you know Correct. I love that, Miwa. That is such a good point. And I'm a huge fan of story and of movies. There's mm. almost never a week that I'm not at the movie theater. Literally, like if I had to wear a spacesuit to get into a movie theater, uh, you know, during COVID, I would literally, I would rent a spacesuit. But I think that having that mindset, it does, it makes things hurt less mm. at, at times when things are really difficult. And it reminds you that we're in sort of a challenge here. You know, it is definitely a challenge that we're a part of this journey life. And there are times that it's important to really feel your feelings and not disassociate. But sometimes taking a step back does help in recharting a different course when you have to. Mm, I think, yeah, when uh, there is the whole term of like, yeah, suck it up deal with it like, <laughs> I like the whole thing is I do believe you've got to suck it up at times if you're in the middle of a crisis you like it's go time you can't really stop you got to keep going when that crisis is over yeah then by all means like put it down like yeah let your emotions flow let whatever you need to do to sort of get rid of it that mm -hmm. has to like happen if you hold on to it you're not really through whatever that is and that crisis is not truly over you're Correct. still go you're still in the midst of it and but i think with like helping to sort of disassociate at times is always a good thing and when you like when it's over at that precise time that's when you got to be like okay get real with yourself you know right exactly exactly sometimes it's time to take off the emotional spanks when the crisis is over However, there are times when it is a good thing to learn to be in charge of our thoughts and emotions and regulate them. And remember, I, I know when I was going through some of my worst times, mm -hmm. a friend of mine told me, you know, you can't let your mind go crazy with worry, anxiety, and ruminations all day long. You'll drive people crazy. You're not going to be able to get tend to your life. It's not going to go well for you try to create a worry hour. And so, she, you know, it became a way not of not feeling my feelings when things, when I was doing it correctly, it became a sacred time. The only time that I would say, okay, here's this crisis. I'm going to gnash my teeth, feel sorry for myself, cry, whatever. Mm. But then 23 hours of the day is devoted to living and moving forward. And you know, it doesn't, if, if we're actively in, let's say, substance abuse problem or mental health crises, that's not going to work. But most of us can train our brains to regulate so that we're not all over the map for a duration of a long crisis. Yeah, because like this is the thing. I, as I say, yeah, bubbly personality, everything like this, but you've gone through the ringer. And like, this is the thing. Like, did you like? Did you discover these sort of techniques for yourself when okay, when your husband uh, like yeah, 
disappeared <laughs> off to like Greece with your like with your two daughters. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, you're right. I I of course thought I was a smart young person who said to herself, hey, I'm going to make different choices and get married and have a family of my own and do no work to make sure that I can do something different. <laughs> I'm just going to wish it so. And it turns out that did not go well for me or my family. So, you know, I didn't want my children that I would have one day to grow up with divorce, with parental abduction, with any violence in the home. And of course, I did no therapy, no intervention, and went on to replicate what happened in my family. And my kids ended up in a foreign country. So uh, yeah, that was a lot. It was by the time I was 29, I had two children uh, who were in Greece with their father. I had been apart from him for four years and he chose to take them when they got old enough and disappear out of country against court orders. So I did learn the hard way how to manage my emotions. I Before he took the kids, there was a lot of stalking breaking into the house, slashing my tires, four years. You know, I went ahead and got a college degree. I tried to do, make some good choices, but he never lost his focus. So I had plenty of crisis management because if I let myself get scared constantly, fall to pieces, whatever, I couldn't have maintained a job, mm. had any friendships, moved forward. And, you know, to me, life is important to live fully until we can no longer. And so I did learn from some of the horrifying things that I went through, through therapy, I reached out for through peer support at times. Um, and through just different friendships, people kind of mentoring and saying, Hey, you know, you might want to not use this technique to get through a hard time, you might try this. And I really listened if I thought they had credibility in their own lives. And I was a pretty good, I think if I had something going for me, I could forecast and I had a good sense about who was worth following or listening to. Yeah. And I knew that my family probably, if they had any possibility, they had their own crises to go through. If they couldn't, they would likely have helped some of them. But I knew that because we were from the same family, they couldn't. You know, you know, they had their own issues. So I didn't have close relatives going through the worst of my life to hold on to. But that was just as well. That was just as well. You know, I, um, I I look back and I think I wouldn't have it any other way. I was able to select who my um, who I would emulate or whose footsteps I would follow in or listen to. I hear you. I hear you. Like this is one of those things. I I often like, and I think I've heard it best on a podcast recently. Like, yeah, we like we often have the answers to much of our sort of woes and like, yeah, our anguish uh, right. on a sort of day-to-day -day basis. But when it comes to solving those problems for ourselves, we, like, we can't see it. But if I asked you to like go, yeah, so your best friend and I described the exact scenario you're in, I went, but what would you say to your best friend? Like the answer, like all of a sudden just, nah, they should do X, Y, and Z, and like they'll be able to solve it. And then it's just like kind of look at the person. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Uh, you mean what would I tell my best friend who was going yeah, through something? That basically your situation before you like embarked on therapy, before you embarked on talking to like finding different people to talk to and everything like this. If someone came up to you in your early stages and went, yeah. Like, I, yeah, my best friend is going through X, Y, and Z, and they described what your, like, situation is. Yeah, their ex-partners slashing their tires, doing this, doing that. And, like, they went, yeah, what do you think, what do you think I should tell my best friend? The answer would most probably come out like lightning. You're like, you know exactly what to do. Right. It's just a case of because you're in the thick of it, you just sometimes, you can't see it. It for yourself it's easy when you exactly. see something else that's yeah. so true and i i truly believe that's one of the reasons why it's important for any of us whether it's we're in a bad relationship that we've maybe even left mm. or whether we have a health crisis or 
whatever it is that we're dealing with chronic anxiety, there is not just one intervention to be useful. There are many different things that can help a person. And so I feel like peer support, going to therapy, if a person has access, and even online, I think these days people have some access if they have resources mm. or if there are free services in their area. But that's just part of the trouble. You know, it's nice to have support. It's great to find peer support. And because when we sit alone with our thoughts and our anxieties, we start to believe the lie that we're the only one to go through this terrible thing. And if we think we're the only one to go through this terrible thing, there really are no solutions. Mm. Whereas if we talk to other people, and I don't mean taking our problems and telling every single person we run into, <laughs> you meet those people and uh, yes, that does not work out well for anyone. But I mean, being focused and knowing to reach out for support and to look for the support of people who've walked in their shoes, that's really important. It's an important thing. It gives us perspective. By the time my kids were taken out of country and they were at the height of their adorability, like to me, children are cutest at about the ages of four and six. And my daughters were four and six when they left. They were so precious. But you know, by then I'd already been working for some years. Let me see how many years. Uh, well, a couple of years as a domestic violence survivor advocate. So there I was working with survivors of domestic violence to help them in the throes of their crises. And then my kids get taken. It was an interesting lesson because I, as far as abuse in relationships, it's important for people to remember that one person choosing to leave abuse. So when we get annoyed because our family or friend is in a bad relationship that it's obvious he or she should get out of. Yeah. It's obvious to us. What we don't realize is that the unintended consequences of leaving can be very deadly. And so I thought I made some good choices, got my degree, got off public assistance, you know, had stayed in a shelter briefly with my kids and found that that path just got harder and harder because the better I felt about myself, the more my former husband uh, came down hard on me and our kids. So I just would, I think that's why I'm such a nut about telling people, you know, reach for help and don't get help from one person. I have a family member right now who's going through a horrible, horrible thing, but she tends to always rely on her sister for everything. And so she, if, if she needed housing, it's her sister. If she needed emotional support, it's her sister. If she, that is the perfect way to get rescued rather than to find your power. And I think when we feel bad about our lives, we want to abdicate authority at times, but it's really important to spread the wealth of neediness in a sense and spread the places where we both give and receive support because that way we don't burn people out. We don't in sometimes endanger them and we don't find ourselves betrayed when the person that we've relied on so heavily can't take it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, no, because this is the thing. Like, I I listen to your story, and like, this is I've listened to like stories of domestic abuse before, and the one thing what often comes to my mind is like, yeah, the sort of like the amount of reps you need to do, workout reps to get that mental strength right. to like, oh, okay, you know what? Um, okay, today is the day I leave, and like that's said not once not twice a thousand times and this that the other and working through that whole process seems like if you look at it from the outside you like it doesn't make a lot of sense because you kind of like look at it and go why aren't you going sooner it's only when you kind of learn the sort of process the amount of reps and it could be a hundred reps a thousand reps 10,000 reps but it's that those reps people need to go through to like go yeah I can actually be physically and like mentally to be able to leave doesn't mean you're getting your life together at that point it's not like yeah I've left and hey ho the clouds <laughs> open up and like yeah I found myself no it's just that simple process of getting out 
And yeah, it takes a lot more reps to keep going. Like, how did you like with like, and you mentioned, yeah, not leaning on one person to like, they become that crutch or put them in danger. Like, what was like, what was the sort of indication when like, yeah, you first took your first rep? When was that? Well, I remember and I trigger alert. This is going to, you know, just letting people know we're going to talk about something gritty, but uh, mm. I was strangled in front of my oldest daughter. She was two. And I remember thinking if I survive this, because there's an excellent chance I will not, mm. I am going to not be the doormat that people comfortably wipe their feet on. It wasn't just my husband. It was in my childhood. It was in some of my school events, school experiences being bullied when I was young, not always, but at different times. I was very passive, sometimes very quiet and shy. And I thought, this is it. This is the end of all of this. So it was a moment where I at least knew I was ready to start a journey. But that is exactly right. It is a journey. There is leaving abuse or changing your life. It's not a one-time decision. It is a million little decisions each and every day that help us on our journey. And, you know, I don't think we arrive ever. We just do better and do better and try to make the next right choice. But you know, statistically speaking, uh, people leave abusive relationships several times before they finally end it for good. Typically, it's not a one-time event. It's a process. But that's our life. Our life is not a one-time event. It's a process. And so it's easy to get tied up into, wow, if only this one thing happened, the rest of life would be great or easy. Uh, you know, and it's just not like that. It's just not like that. So I think the day, March 5th, of 1990 was my day where I had that kind of uh, epiphany. I'm out. I'm out and I'm going to find my backbone, which is hidden and has been hidden for far too long. And it did not happen elegantly. I went from being super passive to having a whole bunch of stored anger. And then I remember one time shouting at a young lady who was working at a toy store when one of my daughters had a massive tantrum and like it, there was no cause for that. It, just no cause for that. But once I decided that I didn't want to be passive, I didn't know the path to being an assertive communicator or how to not be the Tasmanian devil with my internal anger. Yeah. And so it took a while and it took a couple of people saying that's not appropriate or, you know, in therapy, really working on some things because, there wasn't an image that I had or a person that I definitely could call on daily that could show me that. That was up to me. Mm. Finding your equilibrium must have been very difficult indeed. Yes. Because, yeah, at, like going from being like ultra passive to like then like I'm right, I need to stand up for myself, but not having, <laughs> how can I say, a balanced, a balanced example of how you can stand up for yourself in a positive manner uh it just most really leads to yeah as you say an extreme version of that a caricature you could say right. yeah. <laughs> uh, i was a tornado for a while you know and then I yeah. was like, oh, this is not working out for anyone either you know being a passive was not good mm. being aggressive was not good there had to be a middle ground <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> or this conversation would be talking about right. what you would have words clearly. That's right. <laughs> like, like, oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my lord! So it must have like working, like helping, like ladies who have been in like yeah abusive relationships get to the other side. It must like. That's some heavy water to carry. How did, like, you know what I mean? Plus, you've had to carry your own water as well. How did you manage to, like, let some of that water go and not sort of, like, yeah, get drowned in it, if you get what I mean? Well, I think 
first off, I did love that work. I've always loved working with crime survivors in general, but, mm. but especially survivors of domestic abuse. I loved it. It made purpose of my experience in some ways. It made me realize that there was something in the world I could do and add value. And yet sometimes it did get to be really, really challenging or traumatic. So always having uh, friends to talk to, maybe a physical outlet like walking. I used to do a lot more cross-country skiing until I kind of got bad balance. Uh, plus you don't do that in Chattanooga. So there you are. But uh, <laughs> but in Alaska, there was a time where I did a lot of that. Um, you know, just some time in therapy, didn't mind doing that at all. I have no shame about that. And will always do that when I need to. That's something I'm just uh, fanatical about. I moved on from being a domestic uh, survivor advocate to being a child abuse investigator. There, I found a lot of the same clients and they were not always abused by the abusive parents. Sometimes they were abused very seriously by the victim parent. And so some of those same kids then years later followed me over when I was a juvenile probation supervisor for two decades. And I started out as a regular probation officer and then a, a supervisor. The important thing of my work was, yes, it was heavy, but it also reminded me that if my childhood seemed a little bit checkered, it was nothing compared to the people I worked with. It was nothing compared to what many, many youth had gone through. And that perspective really does help depersonalize, again, some of the things. Also, I had to stay relevant and updated in my training. I got a graduate degree in psychology eventually, but I kept going to continuing education. And the more we researched the brain and how we respond to trauma, the better I was able to parent. Unfortunately, some of that information came too late in some ways because I'd already tried to make my kids bootstrap themselves. When they came back from Greece, my, my opinion was, now you've got therapy, you've got friends who care about you, you've got sports and you know supportive people around you, hush up and let's move forward. And that really was not productive. It was the best I could do at the time, but the more I learned about the brain, the more I realized, no, 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 no. That's not how this goes. Trauma doesn't just end because you went and hired a therapist and the, the thing is over with. That's not how it goes at all. So, um, but I would say those jobs, as much as they hurt, they helped much, much more. And I, there were certain things that happened when my kids were kidnapped. We had a detective, it wasn't in the movie that uh, followed, but a detective was trying to score sexual favors. And, you know, I dealt with some of the, kind of crookedness inside our local police department. But that was very small compared to the decades I worked with our local police and loved working with them mm. and trusted them. It helped me to work in government later and make my own mistakes. And I'm sorry to every family member who I was on the other end of the mistake. But I learned also that it's very the work is difficult. It's not as simple as I would have thought. And if it's not as simple as I would have thought, I don't need to carry on a grudge or a weird attitude or something. I was very lucky in many spots because I also met many devoted officers and government workers. So the work was as healing as it was harming. Mm. More healing than harming. Oh, well, I'm glad it was more healing than harming. Uh, but like this is the thing. I think a lot of people, how can I put it? A lot of people kind of look at the whole, if you're having to like going through this sort of different levels of the system, like, you like you're getting a much clearer like over like god's eye view of the patterns which develop out of it you can see the dominoes sort of falling going ah i can see that's gone from here and that's led to here that led to here and like yeah you most probably might look at it with a more sympathetic eye because you can see the whole like yeah from like mm -hmm. someone like myself uh, and I would say this would most probably be scores of people. They were like looking and go, "What the, like, right. what the hell right. you did that to your kid? Right. Freaking monster!" Right. And it's a case of there was a lot what happened before they come to the mod like to this point. 
and sort of trying to get that sort of realm of sympathy. Like it's, I would say it's difficult for people to, you know what I mean? Just simply I go, yeah, I've taken this snapshot of this situation and I have not seen everything what's led to it all. Exactly. Having that Exactly. Yeah. And just giving people the kind of the grace. I don't mean letting people to, to be abusive or oh. not be accountable because never, 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 never. But on the other hand, we look at people differently and with, with more research and trauma-informed care, we look at them and we do say, what happened to you? Mm. In our mind, we don't necessarily say it to their face because we could get a punch in the face, but we might want to think what happened rather than what is wrong with them. Mm. There's a backstory that we all have. And so just understanding that whatever we see and the information we have, it's always just a fraction of what's actually happened. And again, that doesn't mean we give people a hall pass to behave ugly for the rest of their lives. Not at all. We don't expect less of them, but we may expect different uh, levels of success or for them to arrive at success differently. Yeah, because uh, this is the thing. I, no, I'm i not trying to like absorb anyone from responsibility. Like my thought, like the way I look at it is if you can now take a look at one pattern and then you can overlay it on a certain situation or certain scenarios which are starting to build you can disrupt that pattern uh, like maybe a lot earlier so it doesn't have that knock-on effect and it doesn't have a knock-on effect and it doesn't lead to this sort of new realm or like new generation of abuse which then basically keeps repeating keeps repeating you break that pattern there and it's like right okay this has happened and you might need x y and z and like yeah x might work y might not and z might be totally a throwaway but if you can put that into place you can then like start having a realm of healing for like generations upon generations upon generations where once that pattern's broken it might be the very thing what can help lift them out of like whatever sort of dire straits they might be in. Either that be poverty, either just not sort of being able to sort of like get to that next level of social mobility. But it's one of those things where I think you can do that. And you've got all of this information, all of this data before you can use that data in a very effective way to stop the rot. And I think that's what is not happening in this sort of day and age. It's like, yeah, always the same area, always the same, like sort of like social dynamic, always mm -hmm. the same. When all of this information, all of this data is sitting there and it, no one seems to be implementing that data to try stopping it, if you can't. I hear you. I do. I feel like we've reached a point where to a certain extent, people are afraid to call out bad behavior anymore because it's like a sort of quote unquote bullying. Mm -hmm. And so we look at people, if, if we look at people and we think, well, we can't expect better because they went through X, Y, or Z, or they have this diagnosis or whatever, then we're missing the opportunity for them to grow into who they can be and gain strength and insight. And I feel like with the advent of trauma-informed care research, we just now decided that, well, there are people who are just victims, and since they were victimized in their childhood, you can't really expect them to do different, and we should all feel sorry for them, and, and that's a shame. That really is a shame, because I would hate it for people to look at me back in the day, and actually, people did look at me back in the day. A couple of people were bold enough to tell me that I was the last person they thought would ever you know, and then, you know, fill in the blank, get a college degree or write a book or whatever. <laughs> so thank you for the honesty. But you know what? I just, I, I feel like we have to remember people have potential, but we have to be kind and not polite. We need to tell them hard truths if we care about them. And we need not to accept substandard behavior simply because they were going through hard times. Mm. 
we need to provide ways for them to succeed and to get support, but we don't give them a free pass for life because then we've really helped in creating lifelong victims. And that's just a shame. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And like that's the sort of damnation of low ex- expectations. Uh, because like I think um and I like this is the thing, I'm not trying to rose tint the past or anything like this, but I think uh over the last I don't know how long it it but it's definitely a here and now thing where okay, like going like aiming for a higher level, pushing yourself to go like to find who you truly can be by like, yeah, wet, like go, going through those hard hardships or like sort of testing oneself to be better. In mm-hmm. it seemed more as a kind of novelty, a little bit of a freak show in this day. Right. And age. No, exactly. Yeah. But like the whole thing is like, yeah, when we truly learn about ourselves, it's not it doesn't come from the like the comfy slippers where you're sitting at home like yeah with a nice cup of tea or coffee watching tv or whatnot it comes from like yeah and look you know this better than i because look i look i have not lived your life and like you know what like the trials and tribulations you've gone through in your life i wouldn't wish it upon like a myriad of people because it just it's it was tough very tough and like you know what I mean with the amount of years it's took to get your daughters back ain't freaking easy and anyone who goes oh yeah it was like yeah it was a brief time yeah you know what I was like go oh, yeah you you will you walk in her shoes you like mm-hmm. you know what I mean you like see what sort of like you know what I mean therapy the yeah. daughter like her daughters had to go through and that journey and everything like that no but while you were going through it and you must you didn't really want to learn these lessons th- this way if someone did like go right here you go here's a bunch of lessons but yeah you're like oh thank you thank you very much you wouldn't value it but it's a case of it you became who you were meant to be through these trials and tribulations and i think with a lot of people out there they don't have trials and tribulations. They don't know who they are. Like if the if life got brutally hard, painful, they and like they had to sit down and go, would they be able to stand up? Would they be able to rise in that sort of moment in crisis? I would say a lot of people don't know this. And this is like why a lot of people will do sort of like extreme running. They'll go on like, yeah a true grit like course they'll do like all of these different things to test themselves to see if they've got that little bit of metal and like this is the thing it's like which is all fine and good and when life does come along and it tests us all and uh, when those days come a lot of people wouldn't stand but if you've had some type of test some type like sort of like trial which might be a little bit clinical if you're doing like an ultra run, if you're doing like, yeah, like studying an extra hard test and everything like this, but at least it puts one or two seeds in there. At least you can like go, you know what? I had this going on and it was hard. It was tough, but this is how I got through it. And that could be like that run on the ladder to help pull you up one level and then yeah the next run comes into play and the next run comes into play and the next run but I love that yeah but so many people don't have that and it's it's crazy but it's true it is crazy it's hard to think about and I was so happy to listen to a recent episode of your show with Mr. Ritter because he has a grit academy I think it was uh, for people who wanted to test their metal there is a song that used to inspire me when I was going through some of my hard times and it's the mighty, mighty boss tones that's called knock on wood. Mm. And the song is basically, I never had to knock on wood. You know, I, it looks hard. Basically that's the impression that I get. It looks really hard. I, I'd like to think that I would show up well, but I don't know. It's not happened to me yet. That's the impression that I get. And I love that song so much because it helped me in really rough times feel like, 
okay, well, at least I don't have that. You know, I don't have to knock on wood. (laughs) There is that. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. It does make life more fun when, I mean, I feel like I have a deep appreciation for not going through horrible times. And I know that they'll happen again someday, maybe never to the level. Mm. But I still have disappointments and things that go wrong and this and that on a regular basis like everyone else. But it's just a good feeling to know that uh, I, in the moment now when things are good and when I have a calm life, every single day I wake up and I think of five things from the day before that I'm super grateful for. And it before I even go brush my teeth or eat breakfast, I, you know, I just rattle them off. They could be small, like, hey, my cat did not throw up today on the carpet. Yay. Uh, the coffee was really good yesterday. And, uh, you know, it could be that small or it could be something bigger. Like, you know, I loved my talk yesterday with the Filmmakers Guild. Whatever it is, it's training my brain to be grateful. And sometimes I did find after all the crises and turbulence ended, I needed to replicate some excitement because my brain was wired for, and I think most of us, our brains are wired for some chaos and some stress. And I started going through periods of time where I worked this government union job and my kids were raised and everything was pretty normal and I could suddenly pay my bills with no help by myself. And I kind of hated it at times. There were times where I was like, oh, this is soul crushingly dull. Um, And so I learned to, you know, and we all have to find our own thing, but I had to learn, okay, I'll go overseas on a shoestring budget by myself. That was a way for me to to see, do I still have skills to land on my feet? Turned out so far, knock on wood, that I do. Um, And that could change someday. You know, I could find myself in a huge pickle, but sometimes we need to then re-challenge ourselves and run that marathon or whatever, write a book, whatever it is that makes a person feel challenged and have a focal point that can really help when we're feeling maybe low grade sorts of sadness and malaise. You've always got to constantly sharpen the blade. Like it's one of those things where people like go, oh yeah, no, it's like, I'm not saying you've got to be in constant warfare or like, you know, I mean, right. it's a case of every, like, yes, but it's science, but you can't, like, like, you can't let it rust over. You can't, like, yeah, turn it into a plowshare. You just, you've right. got to sharpen the blade and like, yeah, because you never know when it's going to be called upon. Um, That's right. Yeah, because that is life in all of its sort of infinite glory and challenges which come around. And, and disappointments. Like, yeah, yes. well, yeah. And like this is the thing. One of the things like you mentioned you made like you made mistakes like in your previous job. And like you go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry for that. But like this is the thing, yeah. I found sometimes think we in our in this 21st century modern day society, uh Western society, if you want, like get caught up in too much in the realm of perfection. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, if it's not perfect, there ain't no point in doing it. And like that's some that sometimes I look upon that and go, look, if you really want to learn, if you really want to get better, you are going to make mistakes. You are going to screw up. Sometimes that'll just be on yourself and sometimes that'll affect other people. But you've got to be willing if you want to get better to know that you'll make those mistakes and if like if you learn from the mistakes you make yes you become a better individual you become a better person like yeah there is no such thing as perfection some people some people go yeah but what about oh but bowling the perfect game you're like oh yeah but it wasn't the perfect moment it wasn't the perfect time it was just that person's been through it so many times failed countless times so they can actually pick up that ball, throw it down the alley and yeah, get a strike. But going out there in the real world, like, yes, is it a perfect day? It might be a perfect day, but it's like a, it's like a speck of dust on the wind. You might see it, but more times than not, you cannot even perceive it. Right. Agree. A thousand percent agree. Okay. 
it's a journey and the, it, there isn't the perfection. And it's something I have to constantly remind, not constantly, but remind myself of too. Mm. It's just not going to be a perfect journey. But I read the book, The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Ah. And this is a philosopher who talks about the rule of 10,000. Basically, I may have misstated it, but you know, if you see a really great singer, chances are they had the opportunity to have lessons and hours and hours of failures. Mm. And that really relieved me in the, the time I was listening to it because it's like, oh, if I afforded, if my life could afford me the opportunity to keep trying, and if it's important to me, I will, there's a chance that I will get better at whatever it is that I'm working on if I'm really determined to do it and if it's a core value. Mm. And I think that's that's kind of hopeful. Most of us aren't born innately great at all things and there is no perfection, but we can stay persistent. We can keep trying. Yeah. And like this is one of the things I often see if someone's like gifted or like has this like one particular talent in one thing, if they don't have a particular mindset, it they will always be good. They might be very good at this one thing but they will not necessarily be great at this one thing. They will not necessarily go down as a legend at this one thing. Uh, anyone you look at, like be that sports music or whatnot, like if you like went back to their childhood and went, yeah, like, okay, what, like, were you great at this? And like more times than not, they're like, mm, I'll be, I was okay. And like, don't get me wrong, there's exceptions to the rule, like Prince, say no more (laughs) (laughs) but more times than not they've had to really work at it more times than not they had a lot of knockbacks when they were young but they had this thing in them which was like going I'm not quitting I want to be better I'm not quitting I want to be the best I'm not quitting let me see how far I can go you know yes exactly exactly right thousand percent agree hey yeah I have to ask, like, look, what made you, like, this is a sort of complete leap, leap, hop, skip, and a leap to another side. What made you decide to start up your podcast? Uh, I decided to start Persistence You because, and I I had been a blogger for a good while uh, before my book came out, but there was a world back in the day when I was going through my crisis and this was in the 90s, pre-internet for the common person, where when you went through something, and maybe it was specific to Alaska, but you went through something and you maybe tell a few people or tell, tell your story, and people, when I went through the worst of it, rolled up their sleeves to help. Now, you had, quite frankly, people from the LGBTQI community alongside of devout Christians, alongside of Muslims, Nobody cared. It just didn't matter. Mm. People listened. They helped. They had dialogue. There were friendships created that have lasted till now. And I was so fortunate to be a part of those days. In the last decade or more, as we see the internet and certainly as the world has shifted politically and with the pandemic, there are so many fear-based individuals where it just turns quickly to hate and intolerance. And I think it's so easy to hop on the internet, post something that you really know very little about, hop off and not feel any kind of guilt about it because after all, you were just relieving yourself of all your wisdom. Mm. And I am so sad for the younger generations who will never perhaps know what it was to see real community in action. And so I wanted to create a podcast with survivors and strivers who both, you know, brought people into their own world. Ideally, it wasn't, I don't want it to be a super polished show, but someone sharing from their authentic story in a way that draws someone else and maybe who didn't imagine knowing someone such as them, but who could take away some universal truths. So I really did want to just create a little hopeful community not toxic positivity, I hope, but on the other hand, something hopeful that doesn't emphasize our differences constantly. Because in the end, I think we're all doing our best guess. And, you know, I mean, we are all doing our best guess. We, we, we need to do better, of course, 
but none of us has all the answers. And so for people who are sure and they hide behind a cloud of whatever it is, politics, religion, whatever, eh, you know, they're missing out. If, if we don't open ourselves up, we're missing out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You do raise some valid points because look, the sort of era of community, like, okay, there is more ways today than you can shake a stick at to have a quote-unquote community. Like, people like, oh, we're a community of 10,000 people. And you're like, oh, okay, like, okay. How many of those 10,000 people, if they walk past you on the street, that you would be able to recognize them, not them recognize you, but you will be able to recognize them and go, yeah, you're, you're Paul, you're Susan, you're Laqueef, like, and like, yeah, I know you've got brothers, sisters, and like be able to go like tell at least three things about that person's life. Right. Not many. And with that, because they're so like these sort of online communities are kind of so sort of sterile of any sort of discord um like amongst other groups it cut it gets a very warped view of the world which isn't real which isn't true and basically because you're in this sterile community everything else becomes the enemy everything else is something you need to push up against rather than sort of like be able to sit down have a conversation and sort of like go hey there is like we are dealing with X, Y, and Z problem. How can we solve that? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and that we need each other. You know, we ultimately really need each other. And even if we're introverts, even if we prefer to be alone, we still need other humans. Mm. And so, you know, that's the wonderful world of today. I, I will say that one of the things I love is like you and I are talking, and we're thousands of miles between us. And several hours difference time-wise. Yep. But it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. I just hope that we keep creating connections rather than losing them. Yeah. And like this is the thing. I would say slowly but surely, uh, if you're putting something positive out there into the world, and I've said this to people before, like, yes, if you're putting something negative in the world, you immediately get a reaction. Like, be that anger, hate, support, or whatnot, it comes very quickly, like, pow. When you're putting something positive out into the world, you might not see the effects, maybe not at all, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where it's a slower, like, wave of energy what goes out there. If it comes back to you, yeah, great. But if you manage to touch one person, with that positive wave and they start doing it as well it will eventually come back to you but it doesn't necessarily go out in the way it comes back it changes it can amplify it can grow it can be like take on a life of its like own but people are putting out positive energy people are trying to do positive things out there you've got to real like this is why I say to everyone out there, it's a longer road. It's a like it's a road which will test and try and like basically test one's faith in the mm -hmm. rest of humanity because it's like, yeah, people get much more of a quicker response and like they see like a success when they are leaning into the negative, when they are trying to like, you know what, gnaw on the bones of society and like take it down a peg or two just so they can elevate themselves up instead of like when you're trying to lift up society it takes a lot more work it takes a lot because society is a big beast of a thing and when you are truly lifting like it up it elevates people to new heights new levels and then like yeah god knows where they can go but the potential can be met. The potential of great things can happen rather than sort of bringing, bringing it all down. You know? Exactly. It's swimming upstream, but it's a journey worth doing. Yes. 
always. And like, yeah. And I think, yeah, if you're paying that price, that's a good thing, you know? Right. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> you like, I agree. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, yes. <laughs> I have to ask now, with regards to your journey, like epic that it has been, uh, yes, TV show, like, like TV movies and like, yes, podcasts, books and such. And yes, blogging, no less. It feels Back like in the day. Back yeah, it in feels the day, like the now. early noughties. <laughs> but yes. But where do you see this journey of yours taking you next in the next few years? That's such a good question. I hope my intention is to be a little bit more relaxed and allow life just to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but financially, it's a, it's a scary thing to try to do that. So I do contract work and do a little bit of coaching, which I love. But I would like to continue to slowly write and be a little bit more intentional as I learn the whole podcasting um skill because you know I'm editing and doing all the things I'm not good at social media and I would like to so I would like to continue the things that I'm already doing have a couple of more breaks like have a couple of breaks a year Mm. in a perfect world I'd always wanted to be hitting all the continents before I turned 60 and I think that's because I just my parents were both high school dropouts and travel was never a, something they could do. It wasn't that they were very smart and hardworking people, but it wasn't in the books for them. And I just always wanted to try on a shoestring budget to hit all the continents. And now I just have Antarctica left. So if I can finagle the stuff that I do, whether it's giving talks or on a cruise ship or whether it, in theory, this has not happened yet, <laughs> uh, just talking out loud or just dreaming together. But, uh, you know, however, to make it affordable to do some of those things, I'd like to see that. I'd like to do it because then I want to finish a travel memoir that I started on. Ah, I hear. Oh, no, it's great. It's great. Thank you. No, no. Like this thing. I almost every single continent like not not bad for like the door of like two high school dropouts like Thank you know, you. <laughs> yeah I'm like you know what I mean uh yeah raise two kids like you know what I mean like get like get a college degree and yeah traveled the whole world I would love that yeah. there's plenty of the world I will never see or have never seen but at least I've been able to to go some places that I just thought were for the wealthy or the people in relationships or the young who could trip trap around with a backpack. I learned as I was middle-aged, you know, like I'm none of those things. Huh. Darn it. I can trip trap around with a backpack too. Hey. <laughs> I'd be the old creepy person at the youth hostel. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> They're like, mom, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm just traveling. <laughs> I made some great friends through that, but it is true. At first, I, I think they were startled, like, who is this in our place? Like, ah. Just me on a budget. <laughs> like, hey, got to see the world. I was like, I'm, yes, like you should be in a hotel. <laughs> no, exactly. like, uh, four stars minimum. <laughs> it's like, I'm, it's like, I'll do what it takes. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, here I am. So I have to ask, and like this is the thing, what would you say has been like one of your sort of greatest lessons over the last sort of five years? Over the last five years, I would say green lighting my own dreams is important instead of waiting for people to approve them. When I wait for the universe to provide easy opportunities, it turns out I get really tired and feel kind of sad and like, why do things seem to happen easily for other people, but they don't for me? That's just not a truth. So I uh, kind of catch myself in those feel sorry for myself moments and make sure that if it's really important, I green light my own dream and do it in a way that I can do it. I would say in the last five years, whether it's moving across country by myself or publishing an independent book with no agent that became a movie or a TV movie. And, you know, whatever it's been, it's been like, if it's important, 
is worth trying and I can't wait for approval or somebody to help me out. I got to do this. Time's a wasting. Well, I, you know, I wanted to travel the world while I still have my original teeth and hips. And I'm pretty committed to that. I, I've got two years till I'm six, two, two years and a week or so till I turn 60. So I've got to figure that one out if it's worthwhile, you know, and if, if it has to wait, it has to wait. But, mm. you know, I've got to green light my own dream. Green light your own dream. I like that. I really do. Thank you, no worries, no worries. Like, you know, I I have no more questions to ask. I love this. I love my time with you today. Thank I, you. I've loved my time with you as well. Ah, yes, yes. Like, <laughs> can you tell the lovely people how they can, like, get hold of you, how they can find you out on these interwebs? Yes, I would love for people to see me at my website at lameredith.com and there are different pages there about my coaching or writing whatever also i have an author page on facebook and i have persistence you as in university podcast with lizbeth so all of those different ways people can find me the only thing i do on instagram i keep meaning to be useful but i just watch raccoon videos I'm just obsessed with raccoons. And so I start to post something and the next thing you know, I'm scrolling and I just never found my, any use of it. <laughs> but I do love raccoons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> please, my friends, my life words, please. You're like, fine, Elizabeth, she might be distracted with the old, the odd <laughs> raccoon post. But yes, like if you do gain contact, Send a picture of a raccoon. That's right. Help, help cheer her up. Let's just, hey. That's uh, right. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for coming on today, Elizabeth. Thank you. I loved it. I so enjoy your show and thank you for your time. Oh, most kind, most kind. I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, for sticking with us to the end of the show. That's right. Please, yes, that is right. Yes, please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic, be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. And yeah, remember, it's all about a raccoon picture. Yeah. <laughs> Peace. And we are...